0: Where I live Intruder alert Intruder alert Welcome aboard Captain Fighter pilots needed in Scepter Wars Play Astro Blaster R2-3 increase the power Hi friends, thank you for joining us once again on the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. I want to apologize about the lateness of this particular episode, but due to a combination of the day job and other commitments, I just couldn't manage to get the time put aside to write and record the episode. For what it's worth, even though this is late, I will be doing another episode at the regular time this month, so think of it as a two for one. The classic arcade game we'll be talking about for this show is SEGA's 1982 hit, Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator. Be the captain of the Starship Enterprise. Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator, which going forward I will just call Star Trek, was developed and published by SEGA and designed by Sam palahanuk Sam had an early start designing games. He has gone on record saying he created two titles, Laser Base and Skyrocket, on his Apple II while attending UCLA. During this time, he sent a fan letter to Sega. That missive unexpectedly landed him the job of designer and programmer with the company after he graduated. He worked on six arcade titles for Sega as its senior designer, one of those games being 1985's TurboTag, which unfortunately was never released to the arcades, but is thankfully now available through MAME. After leaving Sega, Sam went on to find a home at Disney Software, where he worked on various games and edutainment titles, such as Mickey's ABCs, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the Disney Animation Studio, Aladdin, and Dick Tracy, to name a few. Now, the creation of the Star Trek arcade game came about as a result of the absolute box office success of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan from Paramount Pictures, which, like Sega, was owned by Gulf Western so it only made sense to strike while the iron was hot. So Sam Palin reworked elements of the legendary computer text game from 1971, updating it to a Vectrex graphics system, and most importantly, successfully giving the player the feeling they've taken command of the USS Enterprise. Welcome aboard, Captain. Although the game is most definitely a space combat simulator, I've surprisingly not been able to locate any source of information online, from the arcade flyers to interviews with Sam Palunuk himself that expressly mention this is based on one of the greatest scenes from The Wrath of Khan, the film's introduction of the... Uh, this is the Kobayashi Mo. 19 periods out of all tier 6, we have struck a grafitic mine and have lost all power, our horse Kobayashi Maru scenario frequently wreaks havoc with students and equipment. As I recall, you took the test three times yourself. Your final solution was, shall we say, unique. As a kid sitting in the theater watching that opening scene from the film, well, for all of you out there that have seen it for yourself, you can imagine how attention-grabbing it really was. I have always loved the original Star Trek series. That came about due to my father's own love of the show, and I can't tell you how many hours I spent with my light bright re-enacting the Kobayashi Maru, which is why I did a double take when I first saw the Star Trek game. Which, by the way, wasn't at the fabled showbiz pizza of my youth, but at a local gas station. There were three teenage boys playing, easily eight or nine years older than I was. I've never been the social type, but I all but pressed my face against the glass monitor to see the game in action. Rightfully so, the young man currently playing asked me to step back. I did better than that. I tore out of the gas station and straight up demanded a quarter from my father, who was patiently waiting in the car. I think he was taken aback by my demand too much to protest, and after he was able to understand my excitement was related to a Star Trek arcade game, decided to come into the store and check it out for himself. After the three teenagers were done playing, I got my first chance to test my mettle as a Starfleet captain. And honestly, I didn't do too bad at all, especially for my first try at it. It helped that those three teenagers, perhaps wary of my father standing behind them watching, actually gave me helpful advice on the game. I was walking on cloud nine by the time the game ended, and I made sure that on that weekend, my father took me back with a pocket full of quarters. Back on subject, Star Trek tasks one to two players taking alternate turns of taking command of the Starship Enterprise, using a rotary controller like on Atari's Tempest to point the ship in a desired direction, and with the aid of four colored coated buttons to engage impulse power for movement around the stage or sector. and to fire the ship's phasers, which you have an unlimited amount of, or launch one of your photon torpedoes, which you do have a limited supply. These have area-of-effect damage, traveling a little ways until it makes contact with an enemy ship, or it detonates after a certain space is traveled, causing a bubble of massive damage. And the fourth button, which is set a little ways from the other three, will initiate warp speed, which has a finite amount of energy. But when engaged, you can't be harmed by anything as you travel through the sector. Thankfully, the Enterprise comes equipped with four shields. This gives your vessel protection by enemy fire from the various Klingon battlecruisers dotting the sector. Or, if you're not careful where you're going, and end up colliding with one of them. Once all of your shields are depleted, you will lose photon torpedoes on the next attack. Then, warp drive, and then your ship will be destroyed after that. I should add, depending on where you played Star Trek, the operator of the machine could have very well set it as low as to one shield per play, which would make for a pretty quick game indeed. Getting hit by Klingon enemy fire, also known as photon torpedoes, and in some guides as plasma balls, will cost you one shield. If you collide with a Klingon battle cruiser, however, you will lose two shield, and the same applies if you're caught in a mine explosion. The screen is divided into three different areas. The largest section is the bottom of the screen, which is the view screen for the Enterprise, giving the player a first-person view of the action. The second largest area of the screen is taken up by the scanner, which is located just above the view screen, and thankfully gives you an overhead look at the sector you are currently in, showing you where the enemy are located, as well as the star bases you must protect from the attacking Klingons, and dock with if the Enterprise has taken a beating. In the top left corner of the screen is your status indicator for the ship, which displays your score as well as your remaining shields, which are represented by green-hued squares. Yet again, you start with four. Your photon torpedo count is represented by the red-colored squares. It will display only four at any given time. And finally on the status screen is presented the amount of energy for your warp drive, which is kind of a navy blue bar that of course decreases as you make use of it. While only four squares or units of the warp drive bar can be seen, you can actually obtain up to 255, which is the maximum number you can collect for the Enterprise. Docking with a Starbase, which is displayed on your scanner as green boxes, is accomplished by using your impulse power to fly into it. Of course, you have to use impulse power to dock with the starbase, as if you're using warp, you will just harmlessly pass through it, or any other object as I've already mentioned. Docking will grant you one unit of shield, a photon torpedo, and replenish some of your warp speed energy. It will also affect your score for clearing the sector. Although, the pros suggest docking at the bases for the first 10 sectors, as it will build up your reserve supply of shields, photon torpedoes, and warp drive energy. But after level 10, and if you want those big points, don't unnecessarily dock with a starbase. The main enemies of the game are the Battlecruisers, the D7 class from the 1966 series, I believe, for the mighty Klingon Empire. They come in three different colors, each designed to behave in a certain way. The red Klingon ships will seek out the defenseless starbases, assaulting them mercilessly, firing photon torpedo after torpedo until the base's shields buckle and they explode into so much cosmic flotsam. If they've destroyed all the starbases in a sector, they will change into a purple-hued enemy. It only takes one blast from your phasers to destroy a Klingon battlecruiser, or catch them in that area-of-effect blast from your own photon torpedoes. The purple Klingon battle cruisers will ignore the starbases and instead fire their plasma balls at the Enterprise. In later levels, it takes a deft hand at the controls to avoid losing a shield to these bombardments. Some expert players have suggested that when your scanner shows you're just about to get hit by enemy fire, go ahead and tap the warp drive button just long enough for it to pass harmlessly through you. Depending on what round or sector you are playing, after a certain amount of time has passed, the purple Klingon ships will change their color to white. The white Klingon battlecruisers, or suicide ships, have only one desire, and that is to ram their vessels into the USS Enterprise. They zoom forward quickly to do this, and unless you are quick on the warp button or can blast them before they slam into you, you are going to have a collision and lose two shields, or the game depending on how damaged your vessel is. As you bravely patrol the sectors of space, which, by the way, you will know what level you're on, as Mr. Spock, matter-of-factly, will tell you upon entering a sector. Entering Sector 1.2 This is important not just because it lets you know how far in the game you've advanced, but it also affects the score. But more on that in just a bit. Besides the Klingon fleet, players must also contend with the random appearances of the antimatter saucers, which sole purpose is to follow the Enterprise when it's not facing the enemy, and only if you're using impulse power. Which can be tricky, because a lot of the time you're attempting to get out of the range of enemy fire. If the antimatter saucer gets close enough, it will latch on the player's ship and drain its warp drive energy before then quickly leaving. On the scanner, they show up as a blue diamond and they can only be destroyed by a direct hit from your phasers. The last enemy type that the player faces is Nomad. Yes, the same Nomad from the September 29th, 1967 episode of Star Trek entitled The Changeling. In the arcade game, it thankfully doesn't possess the abilities it demonstrates in that classic TV episode. It merely drops mines as it flitters about the sector. It also happens to be probably the most dangerous of all the enemies, as those mines, if shot by your phaser or your photon torpedo, can easily cause a chain reaction of explosions. They act like a stationary photon torpedo shot, but with a wider range. So it's very easy for the Enterprise to suddenly find it's lost all its shields and the player has lost the game while chasing after Nomad. After it drops its 30th mine, it will calmly wait for the player to destroy them and once you've destroyed the 30th, it will quickly fly off, ending that level. Nomad, like the Anti-Matter Saucers, can only be destroyed with a direct hit from your phasers. On your scanner, it shows up as a yellowish-green dot, with the mines appearing as blue dots. Destroying any of the Klingon battlecruisers will earn you 25 points times the current round number no matter what. If you take out an antimatter saucer, you will earn five thousand points. And if you end the threat of Nomad, a player will net an astounding thirty thousand points. The mines destroyed grant you no score. Star bases that survive this sector—you know, those that aren't destroyed by the Klingon forces—score like this: a base you have docked with will earn you two hundred and fifty points times the current round number. But any base that you haven't visited will get you 1000 points time the current sector number. Every 10,000 points you earn in the game will bestow a bonus unit of warp drive energy, one shield, and one photon torpedo for the Enterprise. The world record holder for Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator on Marathon Play is Darren Harris, with 123,467,525 points, which was set on July 8, 1985, verified by a Twin Galaxies referee. The high score holder at the Arcadia Retrocade is, well, no one. It's not out on the arcade floor at this moment, and the reason for that is because when Shay first rolled it through the arcade doors a couple years ago, we were all incredibly excited to see it in action. I should also add that Shay didn't get the standard upright cabinet like I played at the gas station and eventually show biz pizza. No he was lucky enough to find the absolutely beautiful piece of arcade art that is the environmental Star Trek sit-down cabinet. For those of you lucky enough to have seen one of these, you know what I'm talking about. This ranks up there, in my opinion, with the environmental cabinets for Star Wars, Sinistar, and Discs of Tron. It really is one of the best. In the industry and for fans, it has also been nicknamed the Captain's Chair as it very much resembles Captain Kirk's chair from the original series. The control knob is found on the left side of the chair, within easy reach of the player, with the buttons on the right-hand side. Anyway, Shay and the Tex at the arcade, John Munkus and Bo Counts, were quick to plug it up and see its condition. And that condition was red alert. Because the game caught fire, As in, literally, flames began to come from the opened monitor area of the cabinet. The trio, of course, immediately got it under control. This and the Moon Patrol incident I mentioned from the first podcast is why they won't test a recently purchased machine without taking precautions first. Which, I think you will agree, is highly logical. And now, these messages. Star Trek the game a game so challenging you need this combat control panel to play it launch photons fire your phasers engage warp speed blast klingons and alien saucers on your way to the ultimate enemy nomad is it the most challenging game in the galaxy it's inhuman star trek from sega Get a free Star Trek poster when you play Sega's Star Trek at any Musicland store. When it comes to video games, nobody compares to Atari. I find television more sophisticated and lifelike. Gentlemen, move over for my friend Vic, the Commodore Vic-20. Move over? The Commodore Vic-20 does more than your machines. It's a great computer that also plays great games, like this, and this, and this. A computer that plays great games. Under $300. Uh, Exactly. We We didn't didn't know. Get the Commodore VIC-20 computer. The USS Enterprise is yours to command in Star Trek The Next Generation. Captain John Luke Picard welcomes you, a top-rated cadet at Starfleet Academy, to the most intense training session you'll ever experience, the Advanced Holodeck Tutorial. The Holodex computer simulations put you at the helm of the galaxy-class starship Enterprise. All of its power and crew await your orders. You'll embark on a series of missions assigned by the captain, but only you can make the life-or-death decisions required of a Starfleet officer. So test your split-second decision-making skills and push your Starfleet training abilities to the limit with Star Trek The Next Generation on Game Boy and the NES. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Sega had quite a hit on their hands, and it only made sense to port the game to many popular computers and home consoles of the time, like the Atari 2600 and 5200, the Atari 400, 800, and 1200 XL computer, the TI-99, the ColecoVision, the Apple II the VIC-20 and Commodore 64, and it's been said there were also plans to port it to the Intellivision. But while some development was made on the title, it was eventually just cancelled. Now there was a Star Trek game produced for the Vectrix, although it wasn't a port of the Strategic Operations Simulator, but a game that was based on Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah, they waved off writing on the excitement of The Wrath of Khan and chose the 1979 film instead. While that may have been an odd choice, the game itself is without a doubt one of the high marks for the Vectrex system. And I think that about wraps up our podcast for this go-around. Sorry again this episode was so late, and I do appreciate you listeners' understanding on the matter. It means a lot. This episode's ending theme is the Star Trek theme, from Kasatochi's album entitled Beamed. Kasatochi is the logbook.com's chiptune cover band. So not only do I want to thank Earl Green for that gift to use on this episode, but also to thank him for some of the more interesting facts about the development of the game. I'll be sure to provide a link to the logbook on the Retroist post. On the next show, the usual ending theme by Tony Longworth will return. I hope you'll remember the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast has a Facebook page. So if you can hop on over there and give us a like, or help others find it, it's a great spot to share your own arcade memories and enjoy the celebration of classic arcade and home video games. If you have any feedback for the show, or perhaps a suggestion for a game to cover, you can reach me at VicSage at Retroist.com. Of course, the podcast is available on iTunes, and if you have a moment, I really would appreciate it if you could give us a rating. It certainly helps to get the word out to new listeners. For further information about the Arcadia Retrocade, please make sure to follow them over on their Facebook page. I'll be sure to provide a link on the Retroist post. Of course, I want to give a huge thanks to the Retroist for not just hosting this podcast, but for providing us all the best in daily retro news and fun. So why not visit the Retroist site at www.retroist.com. Have a token on me as we listen to a clip for the game I will discuss on the next show. I mean, I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. You, 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 you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few uh, years into a colossal waste of time. This has been a retroist production. Goodbye, and we hope to see you next time.